Hey, welcome back to the Lobby Bar Podcast. Um, we have a special guest today. It's a good friend of ours, Roy Yang from the Roy Yang Law Firm. He's an applicant's attorney, and he's come to talk to us a little bit about depositions. And so we wanted to get his perspective as an applicant's attorney, um, some of the things he's seen defense attorneys do wrong and some of the things he's seen them do right. And we want to just talk about what makes a good deposition um, of an applicant and also cross-examinations of doctors. Yeah. And I think um, the reason we're discussing it today was just because uh, uh, Roy and I'll go Roy Yang on this one. Uh, and I were talking uh, last week just about depositions and some of the things that we thought uh, were effective tactics by op uh, by defense attorneys and some extraordinarily not effective uh, techniques used by defense attorneys. And so we thought it'd be good to hop on and uh, just chat for a few minutes about, you know, Roy Park and my perspective on what we think uh, leads to some good outcomes and then also techniques that we we use or don't use well i think jason and i were having a conversation because i was um ranting about a defense attorney that uh, i felt like really put um, his client's case and potential settlement of a case of jeopardy with a doctor depot um, not only did he not get his goal established, but he put his client under risk for potentially more liability. Um, and I was ranting that I think the concern is there needs to be, he just wasn't prepared for, um, for the deposition. He didn't know what the doctor was saying. Sometimes when you, when you uh, throw it out in the dark, uh, what comes back at you isn't always what you're expecting. So, uh Roy, looking at, you know, we'll, let's start with the doctor depositions because a lot of times, I mean, from the defense perspective, we feel like there's more risk or those are higher stakes depots for us when I think about going into a doctor's depot. What do you think um, was his, or in this case, the defense attorney's main tactic flaw that he did, you know, that he went in, what did, what did he do wrong? So I think there's two things that I see that, um, and I see fairly regularly, right? There's some really good defense attorneys, and I know I got to be prepared because they're prepared. They got their AMA guys out, and, and they're going to grill this doctor. I got to be ready to respond. Uh, and the other defense attorneys where I feel like I'm just showing up, I ain't got to do nothing. Because uh, the first mistake is they're not prepared. They haven't fully read the doctor's report. Uh, the doctors itself, the doctor that they're deposing, if they haven't prepared and read the report, which blows my mind how often that happens. They're just doing this deposition on the fly. And they're like, well, didn't you say this? And the doctor says, no, that's not what I said at all. <laughs> right. But in the case that we're talking about, his goal was to establish a subsequent CT against a different employer. The problem is that the doctor had given him 80% apportionment to non-industrial pre-existing condition. We had a specific injury. And his questions exposed his client to a CT during my client's period of employment 
which would allow which would have allowed us to get more of that PD back from that 80% non-industrial that he'd already gotten. And so we took a break and I was like, dude, you, just, you sure you want to go down this line right now? <laughs> I only got 20% of the PD. You want to give me another 40? I'll take it. What do you, um, <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, I, looking at, um, you know, working with new attorneys and stuff like we do, like Roy and I are training new attorneys and, Attorneys going into depots and stuff. A lot of times, it seems like defense attorneys they don't think of the big picture when they go in these doctor depots, and they'll go in and they'll say, "You know, I have a problem with the back PD on this case. You know, he rated him in a category three instead of a category two. I got to go get him." So they'll go in there with the single focus that they're going to depose him on this issue, and they'll they won't think that oh, they could get hosed on apportionment. They could get another CT. They could have the doctor analogize and even make it worse. You know. And, you know, when you're going in, I think you want to think about every single bad outcome that can happen at the doctor depot and at least hit all those and, like, get the doctor to, you know, stand on his opinion on these possible uh, uh, other issues that could change when, you know, you, Roy Yang, get, get a hold of him. And, uh, but I, th I think that's, I mean, from my perspective, when I see it, it sounds like yours too. Like, uh, that's a lot of the, that's a lot of the issues. I feel like, um, a lot of times younger attorneys, they, they get too excited about one particular aspect of a doctor's report and then they don't really look at the whole picture. And so it'll be like, oh man, I think we could get another 15% apportionment because this seems a little bit low. But then they're at 68% PD, you know, after apportionment right now. If they, even if they lose some apportionment, they're screwed. Or even if they raise the PD, they're screwed. And you're opening the door for a, a skilled applicant's attorney to really take the doctor to task, you know. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like they have to kind of pick their battles and really go in there knowing, like, are there areas that the applicant's attorney can attack on this report and raise PD, you know, really look at the objective findings. But I think any, any, any attorney, defense attorney or applicant's attorney that walks into a cross-sex without their AMA guides is probably not going to do well. No, I think you're asking for it. And, and I think people forget that when you're taking my client's deposition, the applicant deposition, I am generally speaking on the defensive. Um, you know, when I was doing defense work and I took an applicant's depot, I don't care what they said. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to get them in a gotcha moment. I just want to cement their position on the record so they can't later on change it. You want to lie? Go ahead. Right? I don't care. Because once I've got you under oath, you changing your answer becomes the difficult part for you. You know? So you can say what you want. But as an applicant attorney, doing my class depot, I'm all defense. I almost never ask any questions because... If I want to get something out, I can just tell my client to tell the doctor, tell the judge later. I don't need it at a deposition. But at a doctor's deposition, I get to play defense and offense. I don't get paid for the doctor's depositions. And my client's deposition, I'm like, take your time, right? I'm charging <laughs> you an hourly rate. No hurry, right? <laughs> take as many breaks as we can, you know? Um, but during the doctor's depot, I got to find a way to make my time back. You want to use an hour of my time to question a doctor to try to reduce the value of the case. 
Now, not only am I not getting paid, but there's money on the line. I got to find a way to capture that back, right? If you get 5%, 2%, you, you knock that PD down from uh, 8 to a 5, then I want some of that apportionment back, right? You get that apportionment from a 5 to a 10, then I got to get it back in PD. I got to add a body part. So I got to go into offensive. And when you depose a doctor, I do have questions. You are going to give me an opportunity to add value to my case. Right? One of the things that I think young attorneys, and I, I feel like I always um, refer to these young attorneys when we're talking about things, but the young attorneys, they're a little um, fired up. And so they'll see a bad report from a doctor and they're like, oh, just ch champing at the bit to try to go depose him. And they get into this very accusatory, you know, like you didn't look at this and how could you say this when, you know, this and this and this says, you know, otherwise. But when you, when you try to back a doctor into a corner, chances are you're going to lose, you know, like you're going to, you're going to try to paint them in a corner and they're just going to find some other way to give this applicant the disability that you're trying to take away. And so like, for me, I think one of the best tactics to go into a doctor's depot is to paint it as, you know, the applicant during their history told you this, but, you know, we have new information that shows this, you know, and so I noticed that you found this, but, you know, is it possible given the new information that you have that it's actually DRE category one rather than two and, and whatever. But like, if you don't give them a way out, um, blaming, it on the applicant lying during the exam, like you're you're gonna you're gonna run into a, a doctor that kind of digs their heels in. Yeah, and just like I mean, attorneys, you know, no doctor wants to be made a fool of at a depot. Uh, yeah. They're for the most part pretty intelligent people, and <laughs> they're not just gonna say, "Oh, I was obviously wrong." You know, thanks right. for enlightening me, youngster. You know, so. <laughs> You have to give the doctor some an out, you know, you have to provide right. him an easy way to agree with you or not agree with you. Um, but that's right. that's your shot. I think that's the most effective way is, you know, bringing him. Yeah, in a hey, you know, in an inquisitive matter, hey, I had some questions about this is, you know, here's what I had. Here's my interpretation of it. Is it possible? It's this. Did you consider this? If not, why? Um, but yeah, there's very few doctors that the. Uh, coming out guns a blazing technique is effective, yeah. Um, yeah. and like and like Roy Yang said, you know, when it comes to uh, getting into a deposition, and yeah, you get you uh, you get better PD, but you turn out worse on the apportionment. You know, when you right. uh, when you depose a lot of these AMEs that have been uh, in our game for a long time, <laughs> they know what they're doing pretty well, you know, and they'll take an attorney that's taking their deposition and give them one thing and take another and it'll, you'll walk out of wash. I mean, I have had those with the AMEs, you know, well, uh, you'll end up in the same position, even though it, feel, it feels like you got something, um, right. or worse position. Uh, and you know, it's kind of, it's an interesting situation. Uh, I think you're both absolutely correct. Where I have seen defense attorneys be effective and get, the results that they're looking for um, and kind of leave me kind of like, oh, shoot, you know, um, is where they come up with new evidence. 
uh, where they that contradicts what the doctor has reviewed, right? Whether it's in the form of medical records or subpoenas, I mean, uh, excuse me, or uh, video surveillance, right? Doctor, he tells you he can't do this, but he's doing this. He tells you he can't get off his couch, but he's working the garden. Um, he told you he has no prior history of back injury, but the Kaiser or whatever medical records show the opposite. That's exactly what the doctors need to change their opinion. When the defense attorneys come in and say, but are you really sure? Like, you know, isn't it possible that between the range of five to eight, it could be a five versus an eight? Those are the least effective arguments, yeah. right? These doctors, I mean, you know, we've been, uh, the three of us have some experience in cop, but these doctors have been doing it four times longer than <laughs> us. You think they haven't had that question a thousand times? Right. Uh, we're not going to break them down on medicine, certainly not medicine. Right. Maybe we trip them up on the law. But their response to that is, you know what? You may be right, counsel. That's why you should take the trier fact. <laughs> yeah, we've heard that. You know, and yeah. I, I love the questions from attorneys where it's, uh, you know, they give 25 percent apportionment. They go in there thinking they deserve 50. And then they'll say, uh, don't you think it should be higher? No. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to give the doctor? It's an estimation, you know? I mean, you better have something that the doctor didn't consider if you want him to move that needle, you know? I mean, but right. just going in there and just trying to convince him it should be higher is uh, not going anywhere. Yeah. We also, uh, oftentimes I see people forget that the way the doctors interact with the AMA guides is different than us, right? Mm -hmm. we, uh, we take their ratings and we have to string it out, right? Take into account occupational group and age. Doctors don't do that. They don't consider it. They don't think about it. It's not, they don't care about it. They give the ratings according to AMA guides. In fact, they're told to combine. When we're talking range of motion or body parts and upper extremity, they combine the whole upper extremity, but we don't. We string out each one, right? So when we question them, you have to remember, you know, that, they interact differently than they, with the AMA guys than we do. And oftentimes, I've seen attorneys go, well, shouldn't you be doing this? And doctors are like, no. As a doctor, the AMA guys tell me to do this. What you do with it afterwards is your business. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've seen it where, especially with hands, right? Like, uh, and Roy, yeah. you probably know, like, you see these hands, and sometimes they'll be, you know, 10%, 15% whole person a hand, but it rates out 30, 30 a hand. Huge. And... <laughs> The defense room, this can't be right. You know, and they'll, want to, they'll go in there to the depot and tell the doctor, you know, did you intend to assign 30% PD a hand when this person can still do this or that? The doctor, and like you said, the doctor has no interest in that. He's looking at the whole person impairment. He doesn't care how it rates out. They, they're not, right. or he or she, that's just not their business. They don't know what the NPD is going to be. They're not rating right. it. So, um, yeah, focusing on actually the book and if they're, using it wrong right and is there any way they're going to just analogize back to it you know uh, yeah. after you do that and that's that is fact exactly what happened to me when i was doing defense work from a very conservative doctor dr uh, broderick um we had fairly mild carpal tunnel but he had peripheral neuropathy one two one two one on each finger <laughs> so i had 10 strings and i was like this rate out to like 48%. Can this be right? This is just milk. He's like, he's like, I don't know. Yeah. The AMA guys tell me that's what it is. I didn't give her a lot. I gave her a minimum one. 
Not my fault. They rate out to five each. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Yeah. But we have to be careful that we we consider the, you know the, the doctors. Where are they coming from? How are they getting to this information? Um, and what are the realistic chances of getting the doctor to reevaluate that opinion? And what do we have other than the fact that we're just not satisfied? Even as an applicant's attorney, I don't go into Dr. Depple's thinking that, you know, I just have to do it because my client tells me. Well, no, because the client needs to know that when I get in there, uh, I risk certain things. If the doctor has given me a good Almers Guzman analysis, I risk going in there trying to increase the PD, and I risk having you guys go in there and break that Almers Guzman analysis down. That is not substantial medical evidence, right? Now I've lost it. It, Alvarez Goodman isn't a foregone conclusion. It still has to be substantial medical evidence. Right. right. And so, Roy, from your perspective as an applicant attorney, when you're getting these QME reports, and it seems to me that more defense attorneys set doctor depositions than applicant sure. attorneys, like on average, right? When you're looking at these QME reports, what kind of things are you looking at to see do you, if you want to depose the doctor? Like, um, I almost never want to depose a doctor. One, the cost, right? I got to front the cost, <laughs> right? I don't like that. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, if the doctor's report is not substantial, if the doctor goes and says 40% uh, apportionment, but doesn't state why, I'm going to trial. Why am I going to ask him about his apportionment? So he can say, you know what? You're right, counsel. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. What I meant to say is 40% apportionment to non-industrial factors pre-existing because of review of these medical records. Now he's made that apportionment that was not substantial medical evidence. He's now got the opportunity to support it and bolster it. Um, and we went to, I would go to trial without taking his depot. Well, I think I'd rather a have an attorney move on your part, knowing that yeah. obviously that's our burden to prove. And if it's not substantial, exactly. it's all wiped. It's right. not reduced. It's zero apportionment, you know? Exactly. Right. It's your, and people forget the burden of proof is yours on that portion. Right. And that's, I mean, that's one of the luxuries of being on the applicant side is when the, when the record is incomplete, you could still just go to trial because the worst thing that happens is it gets kicked back and for further discovery. Defendant does that with a, a bad QME report. The QME report gets tossed and we end up with the PTP report, which is probably sure. worse. It is a little different, you know. Um, one of the things that uh, from applicant side, I would prefer to have a, um, you know, just a supplemental report. Um, quite often I ask for supplemental reports regarding just typographical errors. I can't, as an applicant attorney, I can't let that slide. When I have a report where they mistype the date of injury, even though they give it to me, I can't let that slide because the burden of proof is on me for the injury. <laughs> and if I go to trial with a report that doesn't have my date of injury, I lose. <laughs> You know, people are like, what are you doing? We, you know, you and I know. No, 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 no. Not if we have to go to trial. I've got to correct that on the record. I have to, you know. So everything that we do is preparing ourselves for trial. These doctor depots, this is all evidence for trial, right? It, 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 in and of itself, it doesn't stand. What happens when we present it to a judge, you know? Right. Changing gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about applicant depots. You know, like, what do you think are some successful strategies that um, you've seen in um, employed by defense attorneys, you know, to get the most out of applicant depots? So I feel like there's very different doctor depots, and I know what I'm going to get from certain defense attorneys, right? <clears throat> from the newer uh, defense attorneys, they've got a script, right? And that's how I started. You get a script, 
you ask them their name, where they live, you know, where they live for the past 10 years, right? And the, the idea behind that is trying to get the medical records from where the location is. You're going to search the hospitals. Uh, but then you have to think about, like, is that really necessary? Like, what, what kind of injury are you talking about? Before we spend $3,000 on rectal records, is this a $5,000 case or is this a $40,000 case, right? Uh, so there's the script one. And then there's this, you know, I think super seasoned attorney that come in there, ask five very specific questions, and I've got like a 10-minute depo and they're out. <laughs> I'm like, don't you want to know how they're doing now? And they're like, who cares? Medical records tell me how they're doing now. I don't care. What are you going to say? I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it depends on what – I think it depends on each case. But I think, yeah. again, you have to be prepared – you can't go in there and ask questions um, that you may not be ready for, right? right? The answers you may not be ready for. It's less likely an applicant attorney you're going to get something. Um, but I think being prepared is a really important thing. Yeah. Yeah, I took and some. And maybe not asking that last question, right? Don't ask too many questions. Right. If you don't have a CT, don't create a CT. <laughs> yeah, don't walk out of an applicant depot yeah. with a CT. <laughs> Yeah. If they have no interest in pushing right. one. Unless you're Sega. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then everybody's got a CT. Yeah. You know, I had one where um, uh, they, you know, I didn't see an s and I uh, hadn't had a chance to properly talk to the client about all the facts. But as we got through more of the facts, more, I, there was an s and And the defense attorney kept asking questions, submitting my s and And I just let it go. I just let it go. You know, um, it, and that's where I have to think, you know, like you have to be careful about trying to cash the applicant in the gotcha moment. Right. Um, unless you got some good surveillance, that's not what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah. And that's, I took some notes kind of, uh, what I thought was a good applicant deposition strategy or like that I try to employ. And yeah, that was one of them, Roy was, yeah, you're not, you're not cross-examining somebody for trial. Uh, you're not coming out a winner at a deposition you want to lock them down on a story if it is a a situation where they could be uh uh untruthful you lock them down on the untruth in every detail possible and then you use your surveillance and the contradictions and your medical evidence whatever you have later but uh you know and like Roy Park, you were saying, you know, not to harp on the young attorney thing, but that's something that, you know, unless you've been doing it a long time, you you want to go in there and feel like you're going to get them. Um, and then also, Roy Yang, like your, your point of uh, focusing on relevance, not – I have no interest in – if somebody has been a forklift driver for 40 years – I don't need 20 years of medical history of ever, or of work history of every warehouse they worked at. You know, I get a few years, get a good idea, and then, hey, you know, it sounds like you've been working in as a forklift driver for a long time. How long have you been doing that? And has it always been in the in the Stockton area? You know, that kind of a thing. Right. I just don't have that kind of time anymore, <laughs> and and it never leads to leads to relevance. You know. Early in my career, I had coworkers that would take like four-hour depots. You know, and like I. I think my, when I was shadowing people, I sat in two very different depots. One was like a, you know, two and a half hour depot, like literally, you know, does your left finger hurt? Does your left index finger hurt? Like every, every part of the body, they're like asking if it hurts and, you know, going all like 
ham on them. And then the next depot I went in was a, another one of the senior people. And he just sat down, was like super cool, talked to the applicant in the middle of questioning. He's like, oh, where'd you go to high school? And then the person says, and he goes, oh, can we go off the record a second? And then he starts talking to him. He's like, dude, my friend went to that high school. When did you graduate? And starts chopping it up with the applicant. And then so, and then the depot is significantly shorter. And so afterwards I asked him, I was like, you know, I sat in Mike's depot and your depot is really different. Like what's the rationale behind what you do? And his, his whole thing was I get more, you know, bees with honey than vinegar. And it's, it was something that I started employing like pretty much immediately because I, I agreed with his philosophy and I just couldn't find a reason to ask people questions for two hours when there's nothing discoverable from anything more than the first like 30 minutes, you know, like it just didn't make sense. Like Jason said, if you could lock them into one city, it's like, oh, I, I was born and raised and lived my whole life in Stockton. Then I don't, because Stockton's not a big enough city where I need to find out addresses so I could do a med in, uh, medical canvas. Right. Like if someone just tells me L.A., then I'll be like, OK, what part of L.A.? You know, East L.A., you know, Compton, wherever. But, you know, generally, if I can narrow them down where I know I can do a medical canvas and pull records from whatever hospitals in that area, then the addresses don't mean that much to me. I do find that technique of uh, developing rapport with the applicant seems to work better against the applicant they feel more relaxed, they are more talkative, they're less defensive. In the same vein, in my deposition prep, I will tell my clients that I've been doing this long enough. I know all the defense attorneys and court reporters. There may be some small talk and some banter, <clears throat> but you are not to participate in any of that. Not about the weather, <laughs> not about the kids. Uh, there is no such thing as off the record. So if we're off the record, you start talking about sports, I guarantee you when you go back on the record, they're going to question you about that. So unless there's a direct question asked of you, you do not talk. You just keep your mouth shut, and when it's over, you walk out. You don't say thank you, right? Because... Like you said, right, you go off the record like, oh, man, my kids play AAU, and you talk about where do you go, and then next thing you're like, we're all back on the record. So when you go watch your kids, do you sit the whole time in the stand, or do you walk <laughs> back and forth? Right. Right? Yeah. As so, for us, you know, the best applicant is a chatty applicant. You know, oh, I yeah, want them exactly. just to feel comfortable. I don't care if they ramble after every question. You know, I'm yeah, not Sometimes I'll just, like, not ask another question. I'll... I feel like they have more to say, but they're, they stopped because their attorney is kind of looking at them. And I'll just kind of look at them like, <laughs> and then they'll just keep going. Yeah, they will. And that's where, you know, in order for me to effectively defend, do my job, I have to really get across to them just to shut their mouth. <laughs> you know, unless you want to be here at dinner time, stop talking. One right? of my favorite memories, uh, Roy, was when you and I had a trial with each other. And um, we had a trial. This is years ago. You're going to rub Stockton. that in the rest of my life. No, 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 no. This isn't about the outcome. Um, where Roy's client was just rambling on the uh, on the stand under his direct questions. And, Roy, and I wasn't objecting. I wasn't, you know, no non-responsive for me. And Roy turns to me and goes, 
Are you gonna object to this motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up, I, I ended up saying, I ended up objecting as non-responsive, and the judge cut <laughs> to his own off. question. <laughs> I was like, stop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. And I was stop like, this, this, this guy's making a fool of himself. I'm just gonna let him here talk. I was like, objection, Your Honor, that is not responsive to my question. And she looked, and uh, and she she took pity on me. She's like. Yeah, I guess it's not. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen my, anybody object to their own talking. question. <laughs> well, oh, I didn't object so to the good. question. I oh, yeah, to, the, to, to his own rambling answer. <laughs> yeah, was that great. was a that was a tough but one. But the same me. goes in depositions, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, good applicant attorneys will look at their client. Hey, hey answer only that's the enough. question. Yeah, you know, that's enough. You know, that kind of thing. Because uh, when the when the applicants get comfortable, which is what I hope for. They go on and on and on, and it's that's when you get this the stuff you want, where right. when they're just comfortable and just rambling along, you know. And then I think um, another another thing that is important is listening to their answers, like not just going off the script, like you mentioned, Roy, yeah. and just going marching through the questions. It's actually listening to their answers and going on, you know, because right. a lot of people miss things, you know, when they are just focused on or nervous or marching through their outline, you know? Right. I think that is a very good point. And again, um, in defending and preparing my clients for depositions, I explained that this is not the place to rant and rave, right? This is not the place for you to get things off your chest about your employer, right? Because that's going to be used against you. This is not the place to only answer the question that's asked of you. Don't think about what information you're trying to get and play games with these people, right? So do you play, very common question, do you play sports? That's a yes or no question. But oftentimes my clients, you know, they, they feel aggrieved and they want to tell you that, yeah, I used to play sports, but guess what? This injury has now really dramatically changed my life. I can't run track. I can't play football. All the things I used to do. And then the defense attorney turns around and says, oh, yeah. Where did you used to play football? What position did you play? <laughs> right. And they don't, you know, they're not worried about, oh, man, and I'm really feeling sorry for you. They're like, oh, yeah, how many years did you play? You suffer any injuries? My client's right. like, wait, that's not the point of my answer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, no, but that's what, so that's where I think a good defense attorney that is paying attention, that is listening, right? Is there more discoverable uh, information in that? Is there another strand of that to, for you to pull loose and follow through, right? right. I'll give you a tip for you as an applicant's attorney that I thought was the most genius way to fuck up a deposition for a defendant. Because, you know, it's know just, it's all, it's all typed, right? It's all just typed. The, the court reporter is just taking down what we're saying. She doesn't have a picture of the applicant. The applicant looked completely fine. And then the applicant's attorney looks at him and goes, oh my gosh, are you feeling okay? You don't look well. Do, do you need to lay down? And then the applicant goes, yes. <laughs> the applicant proceeds to lay down on the ground in our, our conference room. And then the applicant goes, let the record reflect the applicant is now laying down for the, the rest of this deposition. And I was like, I can't send this transcript to a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the doctor reads this. It's like, she sat down for like five minutes and then she needed to lay down. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And I, I was like, let the record reflect that the defendant thinks the applicant looks fine. But it's like, that doesn't do nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course you do. You always yeah. do. Oh, man. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, 
uh, I was told this was a lobby bar. There's yeah. no lobby and there's no bar. Yeah, we, you were you were lied to. You got bamboozled. <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, Roy did bring up a good point when he opened his box because the box came to the office and I had Amber drop it off. So yeah. I didn't even. I didn't. I had no idea what it looks like inside. Yeah. I only told her. I said, "Open it up. Make sure you drop off the right box. I don't want you to drop it off some yeah. Amazon package that's sitting on my desk." <laughs> um, this is KY jelly. Just so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Industrial. Uh, um, but yeah, it was a good point. We should we should be putting in, you know like a cocktail in there or something at least, right? Yeah. Like a like, like a like a little like bottle like, of bourbon. Cheers, yeah. gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We should. That's actually a good point. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Roy. We really appreciate you and your friendship. Um, it was a big help. Thank you for having me on, you guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. Nice talking to you, boys. Good talking to you guys.